0: From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, a comedian and a musician, very often at the same time. You have seen him on Comedy Bang Bang and The Late Late Show with James Corden. Now you can see him on the brand new Comedy Central series, Taskmasters. Hello and welcome, Reggie Watts.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for uh, for coming by. My pleasure. <laughs> I uh, I've always wondered, just being aware of your comedy over the years and going to comedy clubs a fair bit myself. You must look at other comedians
1: and just think lazy. <laughs> no, I you know it's the opposite. I think of myself as lazy because I see how hard they they work on their material and they, uh. and you know I. I see them evolving things all the time and um and I feel like the guy is like this guy, he doesn't do doesn't do anything, you know, like um Oh here comes the party trick guy again. Yeah, it's like ah, uh, well he's just gonna get up there and just screw around with a whatever. But uh <laughs> no uh yeah, no, I it's the opposite.
0: Oh, okay. That's that's interesting because <laughs> I mean there it is it, if you think about it, you've gotten all this trouble, you've gotten some stage time, these are not easy things to do in big city. And you're really just gonna stand there with a microphone? Like really, you know.
1: I know. Don't I, bore us. Show us the chorus. I know, I know, I know. It's like, well, you better do something, kid. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so,
0: uh, the show, uh, Taskmaster, we have seen so many high-stakes television competitions <laughs> over the years. It is about time we had one with uh, almost impossibly low stakes.
1: Yeah, almost no stakes. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. Are the, what are the people actually playing for? Um. Well... At the beginning of the show, they uh, they pull like what they consider each. It's it's up to each individual, but they 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 each submit something that they think is valuable personally um, to them, and then they put it into a pot. And so at the end of the show, the the, the winner wins all of the things. Okay. All of those things that the people yeah.
0: There would seem to be an incredibly strong um motivation there for people to give things they do not actually value.
1: I know. That's what I would think. <laughs> but people surprisingly will do kind of audacious things. Like I know the UK version, someone offered the like the deed to their house. Really? Yeah, and like um their their car. Like, you know, all of these various things like that. Because people also Kind of want to outdo each other with absurdity, so or audacity.
0: So, so this show is originally um, from the the UK. The creator of the show, who's also on your version, is named Alex Horn. I know he has a huge catalog of tasks to give to people. Yes.
1: Uh, did you? Were you able to contribute to those in any way? You know, I. You know, I didn't do anything. <laughs> again, again, <laughs> here's like me, sort of like, sort of like your comedy, like my comedy. I'm not doing anything. No. Um. Yeah. I mean. No, not at all. I mean, weirdly, like what the show is and how it functions is it feels like if I made a show, that would be the show.
0: I got pretty far into the research before I found out it was this whole other older thing. The guy did it at the Fringe Festival, yes. and then it got turned into a TV yep. show, which he said for several seasons. So yep. this is a pretty fine-tuned concept, and you've got him as your assistant,
1: exactly, which yeah. is, in
0: fairness, the role he also played on the UK version.
1: It, it is, and it's it's very it's actually very indicative of how 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 government works anyway, which is like you have a figurehead leader who's not really doing that much, um. and uh, and then you have the people, the person next to them is usually the person who's actually doing all this stuff
0: so alex is the deep state yes metaphor
1: alex is the deep state <laughs> but the deepest of states
0: so what were some of your favorite challenges then that he or the other the rest of the creative team concocted
1: well you know with without without giving too many away i mean it's like uh yeah the, there's there's one where they the, each each person is asked to ride on a horse and paint a horse um. So painting. Yeah, they're painting.
0: What sort of paint are we talking
1: about here? We're, we're talking about probably. I'm gonna say like acrylics. Wow. Or, okay. I'm guessing, or maybe oil based. I don't know. I can't think, do. Can't do finger. You could do whatever you want. Uh-huh. That's the great thing about Taskmaster. There's a task that uh-huh. you're assigned, but there are loopholes of the yin yang. I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. So that's what makes it so great because everyone kind of like, can I do this? And then Alex is like, I don't know. Can you? And so people can do. They can do the dumbest things you can imagine and they are still valid.
0: Um, Lisa Lampanelli is on the show yeah. and uh, Ron Funches, who yeah. is pretty much delightfulness in
1: human form. I know. That's what's so funny. It's like delightful is the perfect <laughs> word for He him. is
0: absolutely delightful. Do you get the impression that the pr- the pressure of being delightful 24-7
1: is beginning to wear on Ron Funches? You know, I think he's, he's, he's uh, delightfully... <laughs> Predisposed, so I think uh, it's kind of hard to knock that out of him. It's like it's his base G- DNA. So uh, no, I don't think so. I think it's, he's he's delightful for life.
0: Good, and he looks great, and and you look great. Oh, thanks. What yeah. have you What have you done? So, is this when you moved to Los Angeles? Did you know that there was a ticking clock on you? All of a sudden, becoming yeah, I was gonna LA? I was gonna
1: die. I, I, <laughs> oh. There was a ticking clock. Like I was aware of my mortality. Uh, no, I is that uh, is that real? Do you feel that way? Well, I mean, I only feel that way in so much that like. Uh, My thing is, like, if you're going to complain about something, do something about it. Uh, Otherwise, just, you know, be happy with what you got. Like smokers. Like smokers. Don't
0: bitch about cigarettes while you're
1: smoking. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I really need to quit these things. Well, either just be a smoker or quit. Um, So, for me, I was, you know, I I was touring for a long, long time. And while I was touring, I just gained a, a ton of weight. I was, like, maybe 16 or 60 pounds overweight. And uh, and then I saw Ron Funches working out. He did a video on Instagram. He was working out with this guy Jürgen Demay, and um, I was like, "Oh, I want to do that stuff that you were doing in the video." And then he hooked me up with Jürgen. I started working with uh, training with Jürgen, and he's like the perfect trainer in the world. And he works with a lot of people who start out pretty overweight. I mean, he works with everybody. He's trained like Ben Affleck and all the kind of people, people like that. But um, so that he was perfect and he's older than me and he looks fantastic and so that's a great role model so so the mortality thing only enters into it insofar as I wanted to just become my optimal self so that I have the best quality of life for the rest of my life do you enjoy
0: like doing physical stuff because I feel like I'm someone in my life who sort of like straddled the lines between like the, the indoor kids world uh, and like the, the jock world uh-huh. and Interesting. so I, I like I like I like doing stuff. I went swimming yesterday. It was great. I really, really liked yeah, it. Yeah, you know, and there's yeah. no reason why the indoor kids. I can certainly understand, or you know, the RC types, whatever you want to call them, the Williamsburg crowd. Yeah, I totally understand why they don't want to watch college, the college football championship. But there's yeah. no reason why you can't embrace. It's fun to go around and
1: do stuff. Oh man, I, I think so. I, I think you know a lot. You know a lot of you know, even that we're talking about like the Williamsburg kind of mentality or whatever, that's all over the country, but like, and also Melbourne, Australia, you can include that in shortage. But, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, yoga kind of took off. So there's like this yoga kind of thing. Um, but I think people find it sexy to, to feel good and look good. LA is a little bit, it's a little bit more, the infrastructure for that is more prevalent. New York is a lot more elective i mean not like it's mandatory in la but in la it's almost like oh you're really not working on yourself hmm you know it's like it's like this judgment uh which is kind of a positive negative you know what i mean it's like, if you're being judged because like oh you really let yourself go aside from like plastic surgery and that garbage but like just making yourself optimal and feeling healthy and good um in california is pretty easy to do that
0: in. Yeah, I, I hate to do the so New York or L.A. thing because so many people listening um, d- d- could mm-hmm. hate both those places equally, sure. which is fine, but you're a very cerebral guy. Like, what do you think? I'm, I moved out here from New York, never, ever, ever thought that I would stay here. And now I'm mm-hmm. it. it how, what do you see as the comparison between the two
1: places? Well, I mean, what's great about New York is that uh, you have forced cultural participation Right. You know, by, by living in New York as soon as you step out the door. Uh, and, like, as soon as you walk out of your, your building, you are in New York, and you've got to deal with New York, and New York's in your face all the time. The and subway's
0: very democratic. The
1: sub- subway's very democratic. The sidewalk is democratic. It is. You know, um, hailing a cab is, is competitive and democratic. <laughs> um, you know, h- however you get, like, how you navigate to wherever you're going is always, like, a last-minute decision. Because things might change, variables might change, the subway might be closed, and you're like, well, I guess I'm just walking today. So... Uh, so there's that, and then L.A. is much more isolated. You have to kind of create your own culture um, to a degree, so um, it can be kind of lonely uh, at times. We're, we're trying to figure out, like, what is my lifestyle here? You know, I get into, I'm in a rectangle. I get into another smaller rectangle, and I drive to another rectangle. You know, with lots of rectangles. So you're and you're, and
0: you're looking at a lot of rectangles. The you're whole time.
1: looking at you're looking at rectangles. You're in rectangles. So everything's very mm-hmm. isolated and controlled uh, in a way that I think. Even in New York, even though everyone's staring at their phones and I have a huge pet peeve with people like walking and staring at your phone, Just guys, just stop walking. Just stop and then do it and then put it in your pocket. Wait
0: till you get three or four notifications. It's almost
1: more fun when you let them bunch up a little. Yeah, let them build up. Come on, guys. You don't have to constantly be like, oh, my gosh, if I don't respond in two seconds, they're going to hate me. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, you can just kind of like find yourself in your own uh, thought bubble, world bubble in L.A. So you just have to work a little harder. But there's a lot. Of amazing, natural, open stuff, and you just got to find your, find your tribe, as they say.
0: Right, right. They do say that. Some of them do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You're a naturally recognizable guy, and I'd have to think that the James Corden thing has made you more recognizable to a huge group of people. What I'm getting at here is my mm-hmm. mom would probably recognize you walking down the street, which would not have been true a couple years ago. Uh-huh. And I love my mom. I'm not necessarily sure that you, on your perfect day, would want to stop and take a picture with my mom.
1: <laughs> no, that's not true. I mean, my, my thing is, you know, I like all human beings. I, I think that, I think everyone's cool. Um, I never... The thing that I never want to do is I never want to fall victim to um, viewing myself in a specific way and, like, if that starts to... If, if the perception of who I am starts to alter, which is something I can't control. Um, what I do you mean? Well, I mean, it's like... <clears throat> some people like get ju- get might get judged like think that they're not doing the right thing because they're not cool anymore like oh this perception of me doing this gig is making me not cool mm-hmm. for me the only way to combat that is just to is to fervently be who you are no matter what the situation is also you know being picky about what you're choosing to do you know for me it's you know even though I'm on the James Corden show they let me they i mean within reason um you know i obviously can't do really gross terrible stuff which i'm not predisposed to anyways however i can do whatever I want to do, for the most part, creatively. Um, You mean outside of the show? No, I mean in the show. So so you're free to be as gross as you want off air? Well, I mean, off air, no, (laughs) I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily be that way, but I'm just saying, like, if I'm on the show and I want to be dumb and goofy and do some random thing, like, in the middle of whatever, they just go with it. It's great. Like, if I'm making a sandwich on the air the other day, like, I, you know, I asked for, because I forgot my lunch, and someone brought me... A loaf of bread, even though I didn't ask for one, and I had to slice it with a knife, and so then it became this bit in the show that they was brought totally you unsliced planned. bread. Yeah, they've got to make a on, sandwich to make a sandwich, and so I had this big knife, and then <laughs> and then James made a bit out of it and, mm-hmm. it, and he was like, "Okay, well, I guess we'll see." And like every time we went to commercial break, it was me, and at it was the sandwich being built in various states until eventually I was just licking my fingers, and there were crumbs on a plate. So, and the band is improvising. All the music is improvised. I can change up the music last second if I want to, or I can say, "Hey, let's just you know, do something in D," and I'll start it off, and the band will do that. So we have a lot of freedom, and in that way, there's no there's no real selling out as long as you get to be who you are and doing what you're doing.
0: Right. The context is not as important as what you're doing within that context. Exactly. That makes perfect sense, man. You know, that blows my mind. I'm like pretty not that bad at music, but if you said, "Hey, man, just give me something
1: in D," yeah,
0: like I'll give you a D. Yeah, you're like,
1: <laughs> well, this is D, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't say the octave. No, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I get it. I mean, but you know, when you got other people there, you know, mm-hmm. and a drummer starts drumming, and you know, it's I could drum in e D. 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 Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many drummers are not good at that. So you're way ahead. <laughs>
0: only drumming the minor keys. Um yeah, it's funny yeah, I'm playing I'm jamming with my kid now he's 6 and uh, what oh, that awesome. means is is uh, I I told him never ever ever hit a black key. And I would just be playing in C major at all times. And it's blowing his mind. Yeah, Cuz right. he's just coming up so with just, like, works. just riff after riff. So now he as far as he knows he he can play the piano.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well that's good. Well he can half more than half play the piano. He
0: can build on this. Yeah, he can
1: build on this. I yes. think you got to get a couple of small wins in the beginning. Of course, man. Yeah, you just need to I got it. And then you're like, "But there's also this." What? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you'll always have C major. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, we'll always have C major.
0: <laughs> so, I saw something that you tweeted that uh it it took me like 3 times reading it to even understand it. Um which I mean is a compliment. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you're talking about this the NBC show Timeless? Yeah. Which I'm not even familiar with, but I can kind of guess based on the name. Oh, yeah, sure. Thank you, NBC. Yep. Um, the high probability all timelines exist simultaneously makes it hard to watch characters act as though time functions linearly with permanent consequences. I'd like to see a time travel show deal with morality in a consequence-free universe.
1: Mm-hmm. I yep. mean I
0: think that's the show we've all been begging for. I, isn't
1: I it? think it is. It's what your mom's been asking about all time. That's why there's a connection.
0: One question, one picture and I'll let you go. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, I mean it, you know what it is? It's like uh, like time travel like uh, you know you think about like back to the future or whatever. Like the idea that if you if you had a time machine mm-hmm. and you went back in time and you killed someone's mother uh, or made sure that two people never met and that that person would cease to exist when you come back to your timeline, it's true of your specific timeline. However, according to theoretical physics, uh, there are essentially all possibilities exist simultaneously. I've been hearing this. So, therefore, if whatever you change is just one of the infinite possibilities that exists, meaning that... Whatever you're trying to change doesn't change because it exists. It will continue to exist infinitely.
0: Would you just be creating yet another alternate timeline?
1: Exactly. You're creating another alternate timeline. So it mm-hmm. splits off and it creates its own timeline. And right. the result of which is like you didn't, you made sure two people didn't meet. So they didn't, they didn't create a child that then blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. But then within that progression, there are millions of possibilities as well. So, so the idea that people get like time travelers would get so caught up about, oh, I, lost my wife it's like well you didn't really lose your wife your wife still exists but in a parallel timeline so like well then we need to get to that timeline so that their their concern is more about how do we get to that timeline not that they actually are I, that they actually don't exist so but then the morality issue comes into play where yes Where, like, if, like, there's a guy, I I always forget his name, in the show, he just, he's just constantly killing people. He's just, like, because he's against this corporation that everybody's against, but his methods are, like, really, like, just, like, there's no moral morality to what he's doing. He's just killing people left and right. He's the only character that understands that he's rationalized killing people by understanding that those people continue to exist in other permutations of reality. And this is on NBC? This is on NBC. Man, the they, world has changed. They don't I mean they're not they're not pushing that hard. But I'm <laughs> I'm looking for that. And I'm like, that's the only guy, the only guy in the whole show that's not like I mean, he's still affected by the loss of his family. And I think he wants to get his family back with the time machine and altering things. He's not a monster. He's not a, he's not a total monster, but that's why he's now part of the team. So he's, like, part of the team, and everyone's reluctant. It's like, you killed so many people. He's like, yes, but I, I'm the weapon you need. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, but anyways, it's just kind of like Rick and Morty handle it very well. Let's put it that way. Don't they? Yes.
0: Yeah, boy, that show is... Uh... That show is a treat. I was I was watching that with my kid until we had to we had to stop. Oh, oh
1: yeah, it's pretty heavy. When
0: they're real little, it's just like yeah, they're cartoons. come yeah. on and then I was nope. like,
1: wait, you actually know what dismemberment means? Oh yes, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, that's a cartoon. I think you'd have to be like, uh, I think I think twelve or thirteen. I think that's a good that's a good age to start watching it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Whatever, like the it's probably the the parallel for we're we're close enough to the same age. Like whenever kids start reading Stephen King. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That age of kid. There's like that pre-adult person who doesn't yes. totally get sex but completely gets uh terror and massive violence.
1: Yes, violence and ridiculousness. Like right. and in Rick and Morty it's like as long as a kid, as long as a child knows. Like for instance, uh uh Monty Python. Mm-hmm. Like Monty Python is is a perfect example of like there are adult themes in it. There's not a lot of cursing in it, but there's a lot of violence and adult type themes. But as a kid, when I was like nine or 10, it was absurdity. And that's really the thing that got me. I was like, oh, this is absurd. and The violence is just adding to the absurdity. So as a kid, I kind of understood that. Um, right. thank, thankfully, naturalistically, I was just laughing my ass off. And I think that's kind of the secret ingredient. Rick and Morty is complete absurdity. I mean, it's ridiculous. and But it also has like an incredibly deep heart. It's got this hidden... Uh, emotional connection.
0: They, I feel like they're almost doing too much character development at this point. Yeah. It, 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 that's probably my single pet peeve with the show. Is yeah. it's like Jerry learns a valuable lesson about being a dad as often as Stan on American Dad does.
1: Yeah, kind kind of. But then, they, <laughs> but but also equally, it it gets thrown away. Like, oh yeah, gar- that, that Like is garbage. True. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Like he's treated like. A flaccid piece of garbage. And, and I mean, always, even though he's like, oh, I think this is this. You know, he starts to be wise and then he's just just nothing again, yeah, which does, I kind of appreciate.
0: It does not. <laughs> what, what T-shirt are you wearing? You're, you're a big slogan T-shirt guy, huh? Uh, situationist. Which. OK. It's uh, what you take to mean.
1: It, well, it's the uh, it's guy, this guy Guy Debord in the 50s created a, um, an artistic. Slash kind of political movement called the Situationists International. Okay, and uh, and it dealt with uh, essentially uh, uh, provoking people. Uh, or situations to the edge of violence, so they like almost started a riot at the Sorbonne. The one guy dressed up like a priest and uh, went to the uh, Cathedrale de Notre Dame in, in Paris or whatever, and like got, uh, got up and like tried to like you know do a sermon, and then they like caught him and tackled him and kicked him out of the the church. Um, Malcolm McLaren, who started the Sex Pistols, was a situationist. And, okay. and then the Fluxus, like uh, you know, Yoko Ono and those people who had like the Fluxus movement. The Fluxus were kind of an offshoot of the situation. So essentially, they were like people who tried to constantly decontextualize their reality. So to treat their normal mundane reality as a constant uh, tourist. So like you being in your chair right now, like just constantly being aware of like what is, what am I doing? What is all? What are all these things? And kind of like functioning from that mindset.
0: Oh boy, if you had seen a guy in here frantically. Uh, setting this board up before me, it does not take much imagination for me to imagine being a guy who's like, "What are all these things?" Uh, exactly. See? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just praying this is recording. right
1: would <laughs> <laughs> be crazy. Like, it wasn't. Ah,
0: every person, every person in radio, uh, and I'm sure in any kind of you know interview kind of thing has yeah. has their
1: story. Oh my God, yeah, totally. It's like that was so great. Thank you very much. They leave and you look down. And you're like, oh
0: my God, there's no. nothing
1: on. And, this. I, and be, why? Who needs record pause? <laughs> what is record? I'm either recording or I'm not. I know. Totally. <laughs> no, but it's record ready, so it's, it it records faster right. when I unpress the button. I don't you can know. see the level. Yeah. The, you even have the record light on. It's terrific. It's everything with recording except. I, recording. Recording. I've seen people pull out three recorders before.
0: Oh my, yeah, we, I got two running right now and it is frankly making me nervous, yep. Reggie.
1: Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, let's not talk about that. Uh, I only have
0: for a couple minutes. Yep. I have this list of gigantic big questions I ask people and you seem like an ideal person for okay. these. So I'm just going to skip to um, the biggest one that I've got. If you could leave a message that mm-hmm. you know would be read by the next 10, ten generations of your progeny, Mm-hmm. What would it be?
1: Um, you got to fight for your right to party. Don't come easy. No, it doesn't come easy. You got to fight for it, man.
0: <laughs> it's funny every time I've asked somebody that they've come up with either uh, a, a song title or a bumper sticker.
1: Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't take two wooden nickels to a gopher's house. Right. <laughs> no, <laughs> I wouldn't. No, that's not what I would. But well, I might.
0: Do you feel like here's another one of my big questions. Yeah. Do you feel like there's one thing about life that mystifies people that you feel like you have
1: actually got figured out? <laughs> Just one little well, piece. Well, I mean, I um, to me I'm a, I'm 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 always like trying to look at the spaces in between things and mm-hmm. so and I'm I'm really against binary thought. So for me it's like when I s- I-, I love the t- like I love seeing people using tactics to create division and then me just like continuing to just see what they're doing and to just comment that I see what they're doing. It's kind of like when a TSA agent says a question like or a sorry, customs agent will like ask you a question and then you'll be like, no. And then they'll ask you some other questions. Then they'll they'll ask that same question, but slightly rephrased. Uh. And, And the whole time I'm like. You just asked me that question before. You just rephrased that question. You just asked that question again. I see through UTSA. Y- yeah. Or like when I'm seeing people like on like Fox News versus CNN or whatever, and I'm seeing the interviewers, and I'm just like, just like you're using this tactic. You're you're using this tactic again. Oh, I see. You're creating this thing. Like you could basically just. I, what I love is just commenting on what someone's trying to do, and not what they're actually trying to communicate. Which so they're two different things. You're either trying to communicate with somebody, or you're trying to uh, control a situation. Yeah, manipulate. Yeah, to manipulate it. And so I love not playing into it because it's so obvious when you're like, you want. So you guys, you, you other people, you, all that stuff. I'm like, that is such BS, man. It's like, what are you, what are you trying to do? That's not even, it's not even fun. It's more fun to just communicate. Why are you wasting your time just trying to? keep people in these states of fight or flight. And yet you will be manipulating people all season long
0: on Taskmasters on Comedy Central. It debuts Friday, April 27th, which depending on when you hear this, is either tomorrow, today, yesterday, alternate timelines. It's always happening into the future you are at Reggie Watts on May 11th also the album Casual High Technology from your group Wajata 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 is a 50 shot more to come on the Tully Show with actor Tony Shaloub of the Amazon series series The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and such classic films as Barton and Fink and Big Night after this thank you Reggie This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, a decorated stage actor and both a Golden Globe and Emmy winner with too many noteworthy credits to list. Highlights include the TV series Monk, one of my personal favorite films, Big Night, and currently the Golden Globe winning Amazon series The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Hello and welcome, Tony Shalhoub. Good to be here. Thank you for coming sometimes this job is so great i had heard from so many people so many times that i had to watch this show and then i finally got around to it and i watched the pilot episode and literally the next morning we get these emails of so-and-so might be available to come in and you were on the list oh fantastic so, so serendipitous and you were already fairly legendary in my household um my son was more than mildly obsessed with the car series for oh, wow. a number of years so that's big and uh, my wife and I are both unrepentant food snobs, so to this day, if we want to insult someone's food taste, all we need to say to each other is perhaps they would prefer hot dogs. <laughs> oh, <that's> good. <laughs> um, so this television series delves into the world of stand-up comedy and an era of stand-up comedy that most of us barely really think about anymore. It's, uh, it's a pre-rock and roll world. It's the late 50s. You... Uh, have a decorated career on stage and on screen. Have you ever done anything similar to stand-up or stand-up
2: itself? I I haven't really done stand-up. I love stand-up. I love going to stand-up live, too. Um, And I'm a proud to say a friend of Lou Black's who I've known for forever even before he was when he was just first starting out when he wasn't that angry well when he was a no he wasn't he was he was an angry playwright is what he was I see and uh, then he became an angry stand up but um so no I I I have not done it but it's always been it's kind of always been on my radar
0: it's such a different thing it's such a unique sort of of thing Uh, there's just nowhere to hide I guess Even if you're doing a one man show of a sort, there is a. If you're terrible, you can at least blame the guy who wrote it or the lady who wrote it. That's right. (laughs) You seem to do well. You play a lot of different things, but I noticed a thread that runs through a lot of your stuff. You seem to do well playing very precise sorts of characters. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm thinking. Yes, I think
2: think you could say that.
0: You know, I'm thinking of Monk. I'm thinking of the character you played in, in Big Night. And I think that's somewhat unusual in the creative community because you usually have the flaky. Right-brain types, mm-hmm. do you feel like you are a precise person or do you feel like there's a reason why those sorts of roles suit you? Uh,
2: yeah, I, I, I don't think of myself that way, but but I I, I think if you talk to anyone who knows me, and, or my wife, for example, mm-hmm. um, that they would say I am. Um, How so? I don't know where that came from. When, And I actually believe that it sort of developed later in my life. I, I don't remember... Um, Sometimes something about just keeping things orderly, and uh, I don't know, I, it just makes me feel a little less anxious. And and I'm I am anxious a lot of the time, so maybe it has something to do with that, it's tamping down the anxiety level.
0: Now this is very cheap pop psychology, but I know that you were one of the last children in a huge family. In my is that that's true, I'm the right?
2: second youngest of ten. Yeah.
0: That's right. I have a friend who was raised the I think the youngest of eight or nine, and he was essentially feral. Because nobody could be bothered to pay attention to him, they had just done it so many times. They yeah. assumed he'd sort of figure it out on his I, own. I
2: definitely got away with a lot when I was <laughs> growing up, more than my older siblings for sure. How did you come to this role? Well, um, they came to me. They offered, you know, they they uh, I got a call. With, uh, they sent me the pilot about my, my about my interest and availability, and um, I really really liked. The writing and and to to be honest, the character of Abe, my character, doesn't feature that prominently in the pilot. Um, but I just I, I kind of based my decision more on on the overall tone of the piece, and uh, I, I just love this world of nineteen fifty eight and you know New York, and uh, <clears throat> it was a it was not a not a difficult decision. The world is literally the, 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 the literal
0: world, the sets and stuff. It must be tempting to just hang out and have a, a cup of coffee just to live in those clothes and on those sets. And I, I've only made it through a couple episodes so far. So far, you've been indoors, I think, the whole time, except for maybe a stroll at Columbia. Do you ever get to do the things where they shut down a whole block of Manhattan? Oh, sure. Boy, that must be fun.
2: Oh, sure. It is. <laughs> uh, we do a lot of location stuff. Mm-hmm. It looks expensive. And- it is but you know you it you you're doing a show in new york about new york you might as well take advantage of it
0: right 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 um your character so at least in the first couple there's a lot more of you in, in the second episode uh but even if you don't have a ton of screen time you represent a very important pole of of the story and of the world because you represent a world view and you represent the world view that you're trying I, to represent on your daughter i represent a more
2: conventional view of the world at that time. Right. Uh, you know, this is what men do. This is what women do. This is what, um, you know, this is what these this ethnic group does. And, um, you know, that, that stuff has kind of been figured out and it's locked in. It seems to be working. And then, you know, certain events occur and the wheels start to fall off. And Abe, my character, has to make these adjustments. And, right. And he discovers I you know and that's what's sort of beautiful you haven't seen the whole first season but what we kind of find out in the in the first season is that from my character's point of view anyway that he discovers that he this woman he thought he knew this woman who is his daughter mid 20s married with children all of that that she's really not who he thought she was. And and he discovers that that's not necessarily a bad thing. And
0: perhaps who he thought his daughter was wasn't based so much on things he's he'd observed from her over the years. So it was based on what he expected a exactly. human and a daughter exactly. to be. Exactly.
2: This is what this you know, this is what this this is your role in, in the family in the society, in the you know, in, in the community. And and she's not you know, she's not having any part of that. She's uh, She's an iconoclast. I feel like Period shows most of,
0: most often have something to say about the world that we live in right now.
2: Oh oh yes. And yes, yes.
0: I'm not exactly sure, and I'm not saying this in a bad way. I think I like this about the show. I'm not exactly sure what uh the show is saying about our present day. What do you think it is saying about our current culture? Um
2: If anything. I, I don't know I don't know that it's do it's doing that yet but i i believe that it that it will evolve into that but i think part of the appeal i think look we have to sort of reflect back and see where we came from to figure out where we are and i think that's the the agenda, more of the agenda here and uh and and to sort of determine how did we get here and what what missteps what missteps did we make and and how can we make those corrections? And right now, with everything going on too, with the Me Too movement, and you know, because women were regarded in a in a totally different way back then. Yeah, but but at the same time, it's true that I believe that part of the appeal of this show is that we get to kind of remove ourselves from the current situation and the state of affairs, and we can sort of. It's refreshing to go back to a time and say, "Oh my God, it was, it was like that," and this, you know, this is how, this is how women were, and this is how the, the beginning of the pushback in a way. Yeah, it's it's really a a female driven world that 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 Amy Sherman Palladino is is created here. On the upside, there for me. I I really love the fact that I don't have to play that sort of conventional TV dad who's like the guy who's like, you know, always sort of two steps behind what's going on. And, and, uh, you know, that we've seen that character a million times. He's a butt of a lot of jokes. Especially nowadays. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And, um, he's still, you know, a force to be reckoned with and he still, you know, he still feels like he has the reins and, uh, he's not a not a buffoon, but he's gotta he's gotta his challenges he's gotta play catch up and 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 not take and not become complacent in, yeah in in the in the in the sort of the uh in the fact that it's shifting tides now
0: but it is it's a it's a nice world and you know if you put aside for a second the fact that it was it rested on women being forced into Really unbelievably narrow roles. I was raised in sort of the the tail end of when well, my parents entertained. There were hors d'oeuvres. Oh yeah. I don't know when is the last time that I saw an hors d'oeuvre. Now somebody just opens up a takeout container from Whole Foods.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's another another reason why I think this this show has been kind of a good fit for me because I remember it's in a period well, I was very very young now then, but but I I do remember my parents and and my aunts and uncles and their friends and, you know, how they, how they, how how that stuff all worked, what the, you know, what the norms were and, mm-hmm. and these certain, you know, gatherings and what people drank and what people wore and how people spoke and what the women, what the women did and what the men didn't do. And, uh, and so it's, it's super relatable for me.
0: And how much they drank. Yeah. It's just staggering. Yeah. Like the world may have changed, but the human constitution has not changed at all. And <laughs> yeah. I if I have so much as a one martini lunch, you're gonna notice a difference oh, in my performance, definitely. I yeah, believe. Definitely. Um I wanted to ask you, uh stepping away from the show for a second, I'm friendly with Thomas Hayden Church. Oh God, yes. And um I think that uh it means a lot to him that at a certain point he was able to uh, do sideways and show the world that there was more to him than the guy on, on Wings. How do you think you're, you would feel about your career if something similar had happened to you, if you were the guy from Wings? Do you ever think about
2: that? You know, I wasn't that—I wasn't a, one of the leads in Wings. You know, I was a secondary tertiary character. Also a big deal in my house for that at the time. Was it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that— I mean, I was known because it was, you know, small screen in people's homes, blah, blah, blah. Um, But then, you know, I started to do films and I, you know, it wasn't that difficult to unravel the role of Antonio Scarpacci. And then, of course, Monk. Monk came along and um, then it became a challenge to unravel that role, you know, to sort of undo that. Because that became the guy I was known as Uh for a while. But, um, I, you know, I try not to worry it too much. I have so many other things I have to worry about, you know, my, <clears throat> my receding hairline and various important things like that. You uh, look fabulous. Oh, you don't dye oh, your hair, obviously. You know, it's funny. Everyone, you know, I don't. I don't. I, you
0: have just enough gray that I know that. It's what? You have just
2: enough gray that I know you don't okay, dye great, your hair. Thank you. Um, no, uh, uh. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't worry about how. I can't worry too much about how people perceive me in the in the business or in the public or whatever. I mean, I just I just want to I just want to do stuff and I want to challenge myself and I want to um, keep keep going and um, whatever however that works in my favor or against me, then that's something out of my control.
0: You know. right 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 well it's good that you see people, it that way people since would always
2: asked me you know uh, aren't you afraid of being typecast will you do a series for like with Monk eight seasons you know are you worried about typecasting and, as being a detective or being an OCD or, you, know, <laughs> is, you know that question is that would may have been a question for you know me 25 years ago I might have worried about that but at, at my at this stage you know I'll settle for any kind of casting, you know, typecasting, or I don't. I don't see anything wrong with that. Got bigger fish to fry.
0: Yeah. Do you like being recognizable? I saw a clip with you talking about going to Iceland with a beard, and people are like, "Hey, there's that guy." Yeah, it. it, it you don't seem always, like somebody who would thrive on that entirely. It doesn't
2: bother me. I'm always kind of surprised, you know. You go to kind of weird, obscure places, and um, <laughs> it doesn't really, you know, it's fine. It doesn't. There, there are certain times when it's, you know, less or more appropriate for people to to come up to you. and, uh, But 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 no, generally, it's kind of, I'll be I'll be more, you know, kind of concerned when they stop recognizing me. Well said.
0: Um, would you think less of me if I said that I've watched Barton Fink a bunch of times and I'm not entirely sure I get it?
2: I know. I think that's a completely appropriate response.
0: When you were, now your character I think is easy to get, but, and this is going back a ways obviously, but when you were making that movie, did you feel like you totally got the movie that you were in?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I did. Sure. Sure. I mean, you know, it's a, it's, it's, I was a huge Coen brothers fan when I got that and they had, I think I had seen Blood Simple. Yeah, they were that. only a couple deep at that point. Yeah. And um I'm not sure if uh I don't know the chronology, but I, I I'm not sure that Raising Arizona had come out yet or uh I feel like Mother's that was Cross. before,
0: but I couldn't swear to it. Yeah.
2: Anyway, but I was just so thrilled to be a part of it. But but I you know, it's not <laughs> it isn't really my job to understand. The entire movie. It's my job to try and understand what my my the component of it is, and 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 to execute that to to you know to to their satisfaction. But it's a movie that I've revisited over the years, and it's you know so sublimely enigmatic and yeah and and uh, provocative and disturbing and funny and twisted and that. uh I think that's what there is to get there. And, it's, a, and an amazing performance. Of amazing course. performances by Totoro and by John Goodman. Yeah.
0: It's um, such a wonderful little wrinkle of their world that John Goodman fits so well into it. Because I don't think you would have thought in, you know, 84 or something. Now there's a guy for Coen Brothers movies. And, it shows, goes <laughs> and then to show he went you, on
2: to do 17 of them. I know,
0: which goes to show you why they're the Coen Brothers and, and I'm not. So uh finally, what is going on with the, the show? I understand that you... Filming should be just underway for season two?
2: Yeah, we just started in March. And... um we're going to do ten episodes this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did eight for season one, but but uh, Amazon's behind us in a big way. It really seems that way. Filming in Paris, the, we we filmed parts of the first two episodes in Paris in March. Yeah, so it's it was fantastic.
0: Does it seem like a world that can go forever? I often feel with these short series is that they. I understand why they're they're much more than the story you could fit into a feature film. But they don't seem like they necessarily want to go on forever. Well, define forever. Well, uh, I mean, seven seasons of ten
2: episodes. Well, well, I think if you asked Amy and Dan, uh, that they would say that they probably have seven seasons in seven seasons in them. Um, I'm good with that. Yeah. I, I mean, because you know, I'm not. I'm used to doing more episodes per season. Monk, we did 16 almost every year, um, except for season one. And, you know, when you do network stuff, uh, episodic stuff, or or sitcoms, I mean, that's many, many more. So um, I have a feeling that they're going to, you know, what's what's, what's sort of good about this story is that there's her career that's going to kind of, go up and down or have a roller or whatever. Her relationship with her ex-husband, her children growing, her relationship with her parents. But also the culture is going through a a, a phenomenal seismic shift. We're moving from the late 50s into the 60s. We're getting into, you know, all of the things that that, you know, not just on the political side, but, you know, on the social side and women, uh, especially for women. And so there's a lot of story I think there's going to be a lot of story to tell.
0: Right. I'm looking forward, if nothing else, to the evolution of the extras in the village as we go from the late 50s to the 60s. Exactly. Because it's great. That's uh, it's, it's like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like more of a stage thing. I don't know anything about stage acting, but they say if you're on for one second, you've you got to pretend that you're the star of your own separate story. And I feel like every time somebody walks down a street in Greenwich Village, every single person that they ah. pass is the star of their own. <laughs> like sometimes you're like, can we just take a break and go down that street for a second to see what that guy's up to?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, it's, it's great. I look forward to watching the rest of it. I look forward to season two and however many more there may be to follow. Uh, thank Thanks. you so much for your time tony shalhoub the marvelous mrs mazel is streaming now on amazon thank
2: you i hope you like it
0: this is the tully show we have heard from reggie watts and tony shalhoub and now we say hello to my old dear friend brian cullen hey brian hey man how you doing nice to see you in new york city it is nice to be in new york city by the magic of uh, i was in la for the other two guests, but uh, I couldn't I couldn't book you in L.A. I <laughs> talked to your publicist and, and your team of publicists said the only way you're getting Brian Cohen is if you come to him in New York. So I said, hey, these seven minutes of the show are very important to me. Well, <laughs> the nice part is be- I, I provide an entire recording studio,
3: so I <laughs> yeah. will not go anywhere, but you can come and record with me in my booth.
0: Yeah. Sirius uh, was, of course, very happy to pay for me to fly both way. <laughs> For these, I'm a big guest. For these seven minutes. My wife took it kind of hard. <laughs> but here we are. And enough chit
3: chat, really. I've
0: come all this way. Hey,
3: hey, not for nothing. She's like six months pregnant, so I'm sure
0: she understands. You know? She's in her third trimester, and maybe that's what's making her emotional. Yeah. <laughs> it couldn't be this high profile booking you got. So people have questions, Brian Cullen. People want to know why you are no longer associated with the Jason Ellis show. Why do you hate me? <laughs> Well, um, um, when I got hired,
3: I got hired on this station called Faction, and that's a a music channel, and this is interesting, people will probably like to know this, the Jason Ellis show was a little bit of a mistake. None of us all came together. You were in the back producing, I was over here working with guys like Johnny Mosley and Bodie Miller and... Carrie Scheinberg, and all of a sudden we all figured out, whoa, the Jason Ellis Show is kind of the best thing we got going. Mm -hmm. And everybody who worked on the channel jumped in. But when that thing happened where Faction became a music channel only and then Faction Talk started, different department heads came in and suddenly there are different people who work on talk channels versus music channels.
0: Well, yeah, you were always working on a music channel and you're a music employee, but there happened to be a talk show on the music there channel. happened to be
3: a talk show. So you could
0: do it, but once it's It was it's an not, anomaly. Yeah, it was right. like,
3: it was something that shouldn't be happening, and then we wound up being really good at it, and I mean, man, the, 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 uh, the time I spent working on the Jason Ellis show was better, it was a decade. I had some of the most fun making radio, but when they said, hey, move over to talk, in the real scheme of things, you're talking about taking less money. You're talking about taking a step backwards. And I have a, I have a wife and a kid in a house and yeah. So I I went ahead. Government red tape.
0: Yeah. I went ahead and
3: uh, I did the thing that I was always doing on Faction, which was uh, made a punk station out of it. And it's called Faction Punk. I'm on channel 314.
0: So now you're the one who gets them drugs?
3: Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I'm uh, hooking up Fat Mike with eight balls. (laughs) And then, um, I also produce Marky Ramone and Marky. How, how is Marky? He's got his own channel that just launched on Thursday, and that is called Marky Ramone's Punk Rock Blitzkrieg, and you can find that on channel 712. So all of these, uh, are available through the app on your phone or in the internet and in, uh, selected cars. So I'm not everywhere, but, uh, that's where I've been hiding. I've been, um, doing music stuff and then i've also been traveling a bunch doing uh festivals and stuff i just did the yeah, cmas man that's I was... right
0: brian cullen is now a little <laughs> bit a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll I am. he's his own osmond twin <laughs> <laughs> and it's going great for me that's terrific that's some uh that's some great music so i can see why it would be cool to be associated with that oh uh, yeah yeah um this place so we're here at sirius new york which is where i was hired the only reason why anybody's ever heard me on the radio is because of brian cullen solely because of you so i I, you got me a job working here and now everything is uh is bright colored and you hit buttons and everything every flat surface goes up and down you know i was in somebody's office and they gave him like this little Uh, children's table but for adults and all the chairs are slightly rounded on the bottom so when you sit on them you can't help but weeble wobble yeah
3: yeah i've seen those
0: it's like it would be very difficult to get injured here because the (laughs) entire place is like made out it's like bright blue styrofoam
3: i love it i was just bringing you around and and like five people in a row all showed Tully how their desk could raise and lower. <laughs> it was like I was hoping yeah. somebody would have something else. And it's no, no, like, no, 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 no. Check it out,
0: man. My desk goes up and down. If you've ever seen a 60 year old man that just got like an adjustable <laughs> recliner, that's every single employer at Sir- employee at SiriusXM. Hey, what's up? Hey, look at my desk. Cool, huh? You could sit on it. You could sit on it.
3: Yeah, so what they did was they did this corporate overhaul here.
0: It's cool. I mean, I'm joking, but it's cool.
3: Every single surface says SiriusXM. It's all blue. All the desks look alike. And Tully, you probably haven't been here in over a year. So we've been living in a construction zone over on the East Coast. And uh, And then out here in this hallway I'm looking at, there's just boxes of old computers, and
0: it's still sort of a construction zone. I'm looking at the the lights that they use when they need to work on the freeway at night. Exactly. You've got some of those right outside there.
3: So, yeah, man. So, uh, anyway, how's LA? It's, it's
0: nice. Are you happy to be back in New York? <laughs> yeah, I'm always happy to come back here and visit, but I've never once, like, it's never once made me want to move back here.
3: Yeah, you think you you know when we would I've got
0: I've gone pretty low. I still cling to my New York phone number, but it's uh, it's a, it's a sham.
3: Yeah, when when me and Tully we we hung out in uh New York City, the golden age. I walked
0: past your old place last night. Yeah,
3: and I mean uh, we were, you know, 24, 25, 26, 27 years old yeah. living in the East Village. I don't think I could live like that anymore. No, you know? that's when the
0: drugs still worked. Yes, exactly. Once the drugs stopped working, you should probably move someplace where you could get a little bit of grass.
3: Exactly. Now I have a backyard and I got a place that makes a banging, uh, what is that, Taylor Ham they have out in New Jersey? Taylor Ham, it's a New Jersey Taylor, classic, right? Yeah,
0: it's Taylor Ham is the, yeah, pork roll. Uh, it's, yeah, it's the official protein of, it's literally the only thing Bruce Springsteen eats. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm eating bon, jo- bon jovi's on diet taylor ham
3: <laughs> yeah i'm uh i'm rocking out uh out in jersey uh and uh it's good man but I, I i do uh i do miss those uh those wild city days but um if i was still rocking and rolling like that i wouldn't be here so.
0: no i'll go get a hangover with you tonight we gotta go thank you brian Cullen.
3: Hey, man, um, just submit that to Travel, and uh, they'll take care of all the expenses.
0: And uh, thank you to Tony Shaloub, the fabulous Mrs. Maisel, streaming on Amazon. Thank you to Reggie Watts, Taskmaster on Comedy Central. See you next time.